Hi everyone, this is Dr. Michael Wall, the Blood Detective, and welcome to my regular radio show here on PRN every Saturday at 1 o'clock entitled Ask the Blood Detective. I want to thank all of you for your support. I've been getting so many emails, so many phone calls, great show ideas, and the one that you really wanted to hear was about the gastrointestinal tract, but more specifically about absorption. Many of you also wanted to understand digestion more carefully. And I think that's very, very important. Over the years, I've met with thousands of people, very intelligent people from all walks of life, wanting to improve their health and well-being uh, with digestive and, of course, other health problems. But what I found through my many conversations with them is that there are some fundamental misunderstandings and or just lack of knowledge in certain areas of how the gastrointestinal tract works, how other areas of the body relate directly and indirectly to the gastrointestinal tract. And that that disconnected uh, knowledge will result in poor healthcare choices or at least inconsistent healthcare choices. I believe as the blood detective and all of you who I would like to help educate and help develop you into your own personal blood detectives requires that you have a fundamental understanding of whatever area of the body you wish to improve. The other thing that is very important to say is that in my 26 years of experience, I've always encouraged those that seek me out to do their own research. And of course, many people, uh, or if not most, gather their information from the web. And the web certainly has a great deal of information. My, my issue with it is this. Many of you out there read things on the web and assume a certain level of confidence that you actually understand the topic. And sometimes you do, and sometimes you do not. And oftentimes, a lot of the information that you've learned is just outright wrong. My own personal opinion, and this is not based on a study, but it's based on my impression of looking at the web and looking at various health concerns and seeing what's accurate and what is not. I would say at least 50% of the information that I see in the area of health and wellness is completely dead wrong, absolutely off base, in a very obvious way to those who know the area. Even and when I say the area, I mean basic physiology, basic chemistry, basic, basic anatomy. There's just issues with that. Then the other problem is of the remaining 50% of the information, that my patients have uh, learned and educated themselves and bring into my conversations with them because of a lack of understanding of how other cells, 
tissues, organ, organ system, glands, the entire body relates to the gastrointestinal tract. And when, of course, it comes to other health problems outside of the gastrointestinal tract, they may not understand the role of the GI tract to those areas as well. So today's topic is entitled Everything Digestive. And this show will be a very thorough primer. I, li- I like to talk about my shows as a master's course in health and wellness because that's really what they are. What I do in my shows is a bit different than basically every show I've ever heard, which is why I accepted the opportunity to host Ask the Blood Detective, is that I will break things down for you and weed out the incorrect interpretations and information. Another very, very important problem out there that I have seen, both in written books and on the radio uh, and online, is that a majority of the natural healing profession has latched on to certain concepts which contain truth but interpret them wrong because of a lack of base of knowledge. For example, many of you listen to my show, The pH Lie. Now, we know that pH, which has to do with acid and base, is important for the body. But one of the lies is that we should be alkaline. And for those of you who did not listen to my show, for an entire hour, I dispel that myth. But I break down and educate you in such a way that you understand the truth about things without having to accept my word or my emotional stance that everything natural is better and everything medical is evil. Again, my point is that each and every show, whether it's my Glutenaholic two-part series, my first show on how you can nutritionally and medically interpret your own blood work, the other show called Detox Deception, that's a good one because probably no other area of natural health is riddled with more error than that topic. And I want to point out too that when some of you listen to these shows, you might say to yourself, well, I understand what Dr. Wald is saying. I understand what the blood detective is saying, but I've tried, I tried that detox method or I tried this pH method and it seemed to work. Well, there's an, another show that I'll be talking about uh, called The New Normal, which is the title of an upcoming book of mine next year which distinguishes the difference between having a good week, month, or a couple of months and uh, experiencing that just out of blind luck or coincidence when you've tried something. So that is a complicated topic meant for another time. It's going to be a very, very deep discussion, one you will not want to miss. I would say that's probably coming up in the next few shows. But for now, those, uh, those of you that are new... Uh, to Ask the Blood Detective, you can listen to the prior shows in the archive section of the PRN.com uh, website, or you can go to my website at www.integratednutritionny.com or blooddetective.com. Go to the blog section, and all of the uh, audio radio shows are there. Plus, I have many, many videos on a variety of topics and a large amount of content on my website, which you can search for free within the search bar you'll find on most pages and particularly on the home page. So let's talk about everything digestive and let's start 
with the anatomy of the gastrointestinal tract and then to get into some of the physiology, how the various secretions of the gastrointestinal tract work. And then I'll talk about malabsorption because that is something everyone wants to hear. And malabsorption is a multifactorial, very complex area. There are several different types of malabsorption and uh, we'll discuss most of them. And as part of my blood detective longevity profile that I run on practically all of my patients, I screen them for as many malabsorption syndromes as possible because they're not all treated the same. This cookie cutter approach among natural healthcare practitioners is largely a waste of time and does not necessarily get to the bottom line. And you'll see what I mean. Okay, so get your pen and pencils ready and paper or a crayon if you prefer. And let's talk about the basic anatomy of the gastrointestinal or GI tract. And uh, before we start though, I wanna make a quick mention that many of you asked me the question, Dr. Wald, how come my gastroenterologist does not understand about nutritional supplements, doesn't understand about diet, and certainly doesn't seem to understand the interconnectedness of all the body systems to the gastrointestinal tract if he or she is a doctor. Well, we could spend quite a long time on that topic, and, and I will, in the uh, new normal, uh, or the, the radio show entitled The New Normal that will be coming up soon in the next uh, two to four weeks. But I will say this much. The reason that they don't get it is because that is not how they are educated to think. Generally speaking, those who go into traditional medicine have a certain mindset. They're usually good in sciences, that sort of thing. They always were from a young age. Their mommies and their daddies said, hey, you need to become a doctor. They become a doctor. Of course, some of them want to help people. Others, it's just something they've been told to do. My point is this. The philosophy of medical schools is quite contrary to the fundamental truth that all body systems are connected. Quite honestly though, for me to even say they're connected is semantically wrong. Because if I use the word connected, it implies that there is a, an interface between these separate systems, but they're connected in terms of how they work together. And they are quote unquote connected in how all the body systems work together. But I'm going to suggest to you, this is the blood detective philosophy, is that there are no systems. There is a system, and that is the body. That is you. So when a patient says to me, Dr. Wald, do you think that my gut problems are related to my depression or to my brain fog or to my anxiety or to my insomnia or to my eczema? The answer I give to them at first is there may not be a direct connection, cause and effect, but these are connected because this is one body we're talking about. And stress in one area of the body will always affect other areas of the body. This is how the body compensates. And compensation is fine, but we don't want that compensation to go on indefinitely because then body systems break down. The problem with traditional medicine and their education, getting back to that, is that without recognizing that the body is the body, we divide it up into compartmentalized pieces. And that's exactly how medical school is structured. So 
there is physiology courses and there are biochemistry courses and there are drug courses and there's neurology courses and there's hormonal courses. And the problem with that compartmentalization is that it teaches the brains of young medical students to think as these, uh, of these areas of the body as separate. And if you develop a healing approach that's consistent with the compartmentalization false concept, then you would necessarily use medications and think about people in a compartmentalized way. Sometimes you get them better, sometimes you don't, oftentimes you make them worse, simply because the philosophy is based on wrong thinking. It is wrong thinking. That is not an opinion of mine, although, well, it is an opinion of mine, it is my bias, but it's also true to the facts of the physical, energetic, emotional body. The holistic philosophy, in my view, and I, and I say my view because I did assume at one point that all holistic practitioners thought this way and then therefore had tools and practice consistent with how they thought, but I was wrong. What I'm saying is that when I, as the blood detective, approaches a person's health issue, if I acknowledge that all these body systems are not all these body systems, they're one system, and of course they're influenced by the external environment as well, then I must, if I'm going to treat that person fully and give them the greatest chance of gaining or maintaining wellness, or if they're so inclined to optimize their wellness, I have to have an assessment approach in terms of testing that checks most systems all at one time. So I can see all of the puzzle pieces, all of the relatedness of the biochemistry. And my philosophy is fixing what I find. So when someone says, Dr. Well, how are you going to fix my gut problem? Well, we're going to look at your labs. We're going to have a detailed conversation and we're going to develop a healing plan that fixes what we find, which is different than saying, oh, you have a gut problem, take a probiotic. Oh, you have a gut problem, take this supplement that says everything gut. But if you don't need those things in that product, then it's completely wrong. And this is what most people are actually doing. They come to me, and this may be you, so listen carefully, with a big bag or two of nutritional supplements, most bought in stores, most not pharmaceutical grade, most don't contain what they need, and most are based on this, this compartmentalized, categorized, so-called holistic approach. And it's not holistic if it's not holistic. So we're going to have a conversation now about the gastrointestinal tract as the GI tract, but keep in mind that this system is not separate. Many of those that come to see me say, yes, Dr. Well, they understand that, you know, if the gut's not working, nothing is not working. The gut is the most important system. And it is very, very important. But that's sort of like saying, what's your most important limb? You know, is your right arm more important than your left arm and is your right leg more important? And yes, if you had to choose, you would choose. Uh, but we like the whole thing working together. So the gastrointestinal tract starts with the mouth and digestion of starches occur in the mouth. The enzyme amylase is secreted in the alkaline environment of the mouth and amylase works very well in that alkaline environment. And when you consume starchy foods, they start to break down. And the reason the body does that, among other reasons, 
is that it needs to do that so that digestion of starches is much easier once that bolus of food is processed through the stomach and then makes its way into the small intestine. And then in the small intestine, the pancreas, which has partial digestive function, producing protein, carbohydrate, and fat-digesting enzymes, the proteases, the amylases, and the lipases, can then further digest down those carbohydrates. Then that food from the mouth with partially digested starches goes down the esophagus, that long tube, through the gastroesophageal valve into the stomach. And that valve, by the way, is commonly open or partially open in persons with GERD. In fact, if you have GERD or gastroesophageal reflux disease, heartburn, then you must have a gastroesophageal valve that is either all the way open or partially open. And no amount of antacids or natural remedies like deglycerinated licorice and aloe or glutamine or whatever else you want to use will close that valve. That valve is controlled by the nervous system. So here is the first glimpse that I am giving you that the gastrointestinal tract is not some separate system. It is influenced by the nervous system. The nervous system supplies tone to the gastrointestinal tract, the tone of those valves, keeping them open or closed as needed based on neurohormonal signals. That's the next clue that the gut is not an isolated system. We've got hormones, neurohormonal, hormonal influences upon the gut, which affect digestion in the gut, tone of the gut, inflammation of the gut, the immunity of the gut, and a lot of other functions. Let's continue with the basic anatomy of what happens to foods once it goes from the mouth down into the esophagus, through the gastroesophageal valve into the stomach. Here is an idea that flies around in the natural industry, which is absolutely wrong. And there is a book called Enzyme Nutrition by a Dr. Howell. And I read that book when I got my naturopathic certification. And at the time, I thought it was brilliant, except it is absolutely 100% wrong. Dr. Howell in that book says that when a person eats food, we, the food goes down into the stomach, and we actually have sort of like two stomachs, he says. There's an upper and a lower. So food gets stuck in the upper part. And then the reason why nature, Dr. Howell says, uh, does that is so that the natural enzymes in the food, if they stop in that upper part of the stomach and they sit there for a while, it can digest itself or auto-digest itself. And then, and it does that, again, so it breaks itself down. So the rest of the digestive process and the rest of the digestive system is not overly stressed. So then when that food is partially digested in the upper stomach, it, f it nicely and neatly falls into the second stomach. Well, there are studies done, there were fundoscopic contrast studies done of the stomach, which show the stomach lit up under an x-ray, showing that food just plops in the stomach. There is no upper stomach, there is no lower stomach. This is an example of what I call holistic delusional thinking because it simply is not true. Just like the pH concept is not true that we should all be alkaline. Again, we should be alkaline in the mouth. I just explained that the enzyme amylase works in the mouth. And when food goes into the stomach, part of those starchy foods are digested. But now in the stomach, the stomach secretes betaine hydrochloride and pepsin. 
These are stomach acids and stomach juices that act upon just the protein components of the food that is consumed. And it breaks those, those proteins down and proteins are made of amino acid chains and you have to break those chains. So the protein is broken down into individual amino acids that are no longer recognized as whatever that protein was. Maybe it was a steak, you know, maybe it was whatever else, high protein food. But some of the amino acids are not fully broken apart from one another. So we might have two proteins linked together, or I should say two amino acids linked together, a dipeptide or a tripeptide, which is three, or a polypeptide, which are longer chains, or a lingopeptides, very long chains, which might look like that protein. So if you're eating, for example, let's say a steak, that has a similar amino acid composition to muscles in the body. And if the protein isn't fully broken down, its amino acids, into individual amino acids, which are not recognized anymore as what the original source of the protein was, but if some of those protein chains are long enough, those amino acids are in a certain order, a certain amino acid sequence, which is very specific for the protein. So when the Native Americans ate the heart of animals, they were building their heart. And they weren't kidding because the body does recognize the longer chains that stay intact due to digestion and help build the heart. When you eat a steak to build muscle, some of those amino acids are still recognized as the muscle. So just a very, very interesting, practical part of digestion that nature and all its brilliance figured out. Now, let's stay on the topic of the stomach for a second, or a few minutes rather. When there are conditions known as, this is malabsorption now, hypochlorhydra, that means low stomach acid, or achlorhydra, which is complete absence of stomach acid. Various proton pump inhibitors and H2 blocker medications, which are meant to reduce acid reflux, are um, they induce either achlorhydra or hypochlorhydra. So inherently, they are bad from an absorption perspective. They will induce malabsorption. And during my PH Lies radio show, I talked about the dangers of alkaline water because alkaline water dilutes the stomach acid inducing hypo or achlorhydra. I had a patient last week that said, oh yeah, Dr. Wald, I drink alkaline water all day long. I have gallons of it at home. As I was going through her health history, she also had bone density problems because she was causing an imbalance in calcium, causing too much calcium in and causing calcium to be excreted in the urine. She had arthritis, which is characterized by calcium excess uh, which is produced by too much bicarbonate in alkaline water, causing calcium deposits in the joints. She had calcium breast cysts, which are precursors to breast cancer, which I am telling you can be promoted by alkaline water. And there was one other issue she had. Oh, yes. She had arterial sclerosis, which I tested with a device called a cardio beam, which measures the stiffness of arteries, not the presence of plaque. There could be no plaque, and a person can still have arterial problems because of hardening. 
because of calcium deposition due to an overalkaline system from alkaline water. If the stomach acid is reduced or is reduced to zero in the stomach, that also produces the probability, the high probability of bacteria and fungi overgrowing. And also, bacteria, fungi, parasites, viruses in the foods we eat are not broken down and denatured fully in the stomach. So the stomach really is an immune organ. It's not just a digestive organ. From, that, from this perspective where it's digesting these infectious agents. So if someone comes to see me with a chronic infection of any type that could conceivably be obtained from food, I always think of stomach acid. Now keep this in mind. If stomach acid is low, there will be some compensations eventually in the enzyme secretion in the mouth of amylase and also how the the rest of the digestive tract beyond the stomach operates, including the small intestine and its feedback from and to the pancreas or the pancreas secretion of protein, starch, and fat enzymes. So you can see that the body just naturally talks to all of its systems at once because it's really not different systems. Many of you out there come to see me and say, well, Dr. Wald, I'm aware of the problems with hypo and I know that I don't have enough stomach acid. So I've been taking stomach acid. It worked for a while. It's not really working now or I'm getting worse because you have to handle the other connected issues. Here's a simple uh, but true example well, or concept that when there is low stomach acid or no stomach acid, there is usually intestinal, bacterial, and or fungal overgrowth in the gut because of the, the low, the abnormally low pH in the stomach. And then those foods irritate the small intestine and this creates a cycle of, uh, of issues and compensations, or I should say decompensations, such that there is a, a bacterial overgrowth of usually bad bugs because they like these unhealthy intestinal environments the lower stomach acid environments, and then the pH or abnormal pH environments that are set up because of that in the small intestine. And then, of course, it, that goes into the colon or the large intestine. And while this is all happening, there is a breakdown of the intestinal lining from inflammation that's occurring. And when that inflammation and breakdown happens, that produces a leaky gut situation. So many of you say to me, Dr. Wald, I took this product for leaky gut. What do you think about it? And I look at it and I might acknowledge that the ingredients in them look great. I might even say that the company is reputable, etc. Except if the problems in the gut were caused out by something outside the gut, then that will be at the very least an incomplete approach. So for example, Many people out there have issues with your nervous systems where your nervous systems are aging, like all of ours are, and the impulses or messages from the nervous system to the gastrointestinal tract affect the chemistry and physiology and anatomy of the gastrointestinal tract, causing leaky gut, causing overgrowth of bacteria, causing hypochlorhydra. And that would mean that there has to be focus on the autonomic nervous system, which is that portion of the nervous system which controls automatic functions, such as the secretion of stomach acid, such as the tone of the gastrointestinal tract, 
such as supplying messages, the nervous system supplying messages to the immune system, the majority of which is located in the small intestine. 70 to 75% of our immune system is located in our intestinal tract. That's probably new to many of you. But my point here is that there's another connected example of how the gut is not merely the gut. It has hormonal influences. It has neurologic influences. It affects and is affected by all of these systems and the body as a whole. So let's backtrack for a moment. You eat food. It's a mixture of protein, carbs, and, and uh, fats. In your mouth, the starch part is partially digested. Then it goes down the esophagus through the gastroesophageal valve into the stomach. Then the protein portion of the foods are acted on by the stomach acids, uh, the betaine, uh, hydrochloric acid, and pepsin. Then when the neurohormonal signals tell the brain that, yes, I've done as much digestion in the stomach as I can, then the valve between the lower end of the stomach and the small intestine opens and that bolus of food enters the small intestine and that sends a neurohormonal signal to the pancreas which has a, a tube connection called the main pancreatic duct that goes from the pancreas into the small intestine secreting just the right amount, if you're lucky, of protein, carbohydrate, and fat digesting enzymes. And then so what I'm saying here is that it is the small intestine, which is the major anatomical part of the intestinal tract that is responsible for absorption. The stomach activates or ionizes different nutrients like calcium. You can eat all the calcium foods or supplements you want, but if you don't have normal stomach acid, you can't ionize the calcium. You will not absorb iron normally, which requires stomach acid. You will not break down proteins normally. So we can see how issues higher up affect and stress out systems lower like the small intestine. When the small intestine cannot do the job of fully digesting, a person might have digestive symptoms, they might have bloating, they might have gas, they might have indigestion, their mood is affected, but they can be affected in multiple areas of the body in so many different ways. So for example, partially digested foods will cause or can be caused by problems with the integrity of the small intestine lining itself. And partially digested foods could leak out through those leaky pores in the small intestine. They make their way into the bloodstream and then the immune system comes into play that is outside of the gut. So we talked about an immune system in the small intestine uh, called pyrus patches, by the way. And then there's the immune systems outside of the gut. We have actually several immune systems. I'll be doing an entire show on the immune systems. And the humoral immune systems, what system or what's called the immunoglobin immune system secretes immunoglobins, which are chemicals, which react against these foreign protein particles or undigested or not fully digested food particles that have made their way into the blood from and through the leaky gut. And that reaction can create symptoms anywhere, which is why I say that when you have chronic health problems, always think of food allergies because they can be the masquerader of many diseases and many symptoms in many areas, except many of you are now thinking wrong. You're thinking, I need to get a food allergy test. Sounds reasonable, right? Well, it might be wrong because why get a food allergy test which, which may, let's just say for argument's sake, 
lets you know of the foods that your that the test reacts to and you eliminate them but if the food allergy is caused by these digestive issues you want to fix the digestive issues because food allergy is secondary eliminating the food will probably make you feel better but doesn't fix a thing so usually a combination of elimination of the suspected food allergen or allergies and correcting the digestive issue at the same time is absolutely fundamentally important. I see too many people that have done these fancy food allergy tests. Most of them, by the way, are not even accurate. Challenge your healthcare practitioner to draw your blood at the same time, two tubes of blood, send them in to the lab under different names, and I promise you, you're going to get different results. I've been doing this for 26 years. That's why I rarely do food allergy testing until I rule out inflammation and leaky gut. That has to come first. Does that make sense? Okay, you're nodding your head. That's good enough for me. <laughs> so it's very important that people just don't do the right, what seems like the right thing. They need to do the right thing in the right order at the right time. So another thing is that I would have to test various inflammatory mediators because inflammation increases false positive food allergy tests. So that must be done first. And then you have more accurate food allergy tests. But the truth is, most of the time you do not need expensive food allergy tests. You simply need to eliminate the suspected food allergy for about four to six weeks. And then you add it back under supervision. And if it precipitates your symptoms, you've got a food allergy. It's just like lactose intolerance. So lactose intolerance is a genetic condition where people do not make enough of the enzyme lactase and they do not break down the uh, milk sugar properly and they get gas and bloating and diarrhea. You don't really need fancy laboratory tests to know if you have lactose intolerance. Just drink a glass of milk and you'll, you'll probably find out. Uh, you should also know about lactose intolerance is that it, you can develop that at any point in your life. Just like you can develop allergies. I'll say to a person, they'll say, oh, Dr. Wald, you know, I have a scratchy throat and eyes. And I'll say to the person, well, it sounds like allergies. It is allergy season. And they'll say, well, I've never had allergies. Well, there's always a first time. Before someone has a stroke, they may not have ever had one. Before someone's cholesterol increases to abnormal, they may have had high normal or it was normal. Before anything is abnormal, it's normal. So anything can happen at any time for any reason. And many of these reasons we simply don't know. So let's continue with the rest of the anatomy of the GI tract, and then I'm going to talk about different GI problems and the different malabsorption disorders. So as a summary, first, we start with digestion in the mouth, amylase acts on starch, the food goes down the esophagus into the stomach, then the stomach acid, the betaine, hydrochloride, and pepsin, stomach acid juices, act on the protein uh, portions of food only, then food is moved into the small intestine, which sends signals to the pancreas to secrete through a tube that goes from the pancreas to the small intestine, the protein, starch, and fat-digesting enzymes. That completes essentially the main portions of the digestive tract. And then, of course, the food, once the nutrition is extracted fully, we hope, the waste is passed on in the colon. In the colon, water is absorbed from the food and some electrolytes, but that's it. There's no other absorption that takes place in the colon. And then food makes its way out uh, through the rectum. So that's the basis of the digestive tract. And it is the, the nervous system, the, both the central and the peripheral nervous system. 
The central is the brain and spinal cord. You can think of that as in the center of your body, from your head straight down. That's the central nervous system. And then you've seen those illustrations in books or on the web which show the nerves that come out of the spine to the organs. You know what I'm think talking about here, folks? Right. So these organs receive the nerve supply. So obviously, if there's a neurologic issue, you can have a problem in any organ whatsoever. So my blood detector approach always assesses the health of the nervous system. I can measure the autonomic nervous system and many of its effects on the body so that I can see the full picture and I can fix what it is I find, not any one of those components. Okay? So let's succinctly go through different types of malabsorptive digestive problems. So there's, of course, celiac disease, which is a genetic form of gluten intolerance, which requires a person to eliminate gluten for the rest of their lives. Gastroenterologists, in my opinion, drop the ball. Uh, even if they are uh, lucky enough to find that a person has celiac disease or some other form of gluten intolerance, they will, of course, correctly say eliminate the gluten, and they fail to check other organ systems of the body for the aftermath and other problems, even if the patient doesn't have symptoms. So celiac disease will have a higher rate of osteoporosis because of the malabsorption of, of not just calcium, but protein, which is the major part of uh, bone. Or the problems with celiac disease cause hormonal disruption, which cause infertility. Uh, you name it, it could create problems anywhere. So the take-home concept here with all of the major malabsorptive digestive disorders is when you cannot figure out what your health issue is, get tested in all of these areas. And only a holistic practitioner is going to do that. Try asking your gastroenterologist to check all these areas. That physician will likely kick you right out of their office. I've, I've had this happen to patients. And even in those few rare circumstances when they are open to checking some things, it's very limited. And when abnormalities show up, they often don't know what to do about them. So um, it's important that you become your own blood detective and seek out healthcare practitioners who have knowledge and, and license and, and edu education to actually check, interpret, and, and heal these areas with you. Now, what I say about celiac disease as a malabsorption disorder is similar to the non-celiac gluten intolerance or gluten or wheat allergy. And you can learn more about those in the two-part series that I entitled Glutenaholic, which is the name of a book that I have coming out in the next two or three months, which will be a download on my Blood Detective and Integrated Nutrition uh, NY.com website. So... Suffice it to say that genetics is one predisposing factor, more or less, to different types of malabsorption disorders and has little to do with some others. And then, of course, is the environmental influences, how much of this food you eat, and other health problems in other areas. I had a patient, well, three patients over the last three weeks, it's kind of bizarre, that I, all, I diagnosed with a... Um, a condition where the immune system is attacking the stomach lining. So it's producing antibodies called parietal cell antibodies. And this is a type of malabsorption disorder that I find very, very commonly, far more commonly than gastroenterologists, which would be the main doctors to find this. And the reason I find it is, okay, drum roll please, is because I look for it. <laughs> you know, to, to paraphrase Albert Einstein, 
He said something like, if you want new answers, you must ask a whole new set of questions. I am always questioning, but I don't simply question. I question and view things from a holistic perspective. That's how my brain has always worked. And that allows me to see things that those that do not think like that do. It doesn't matter what hospital they work in or how much education they have. If you don't have a brain that works this way, that education is very compartmentalized and it just misses the mark. Getting back to the parietal cell antibodies. So if those antibodies are like little Pac-Man and they eat up the stomach lining cells, they don't make stomach acid and the person becomes B12 deficient. So you go to the doctor and they say, well, yes, I see you have these antibodies, many of my patients are told, and they say, well, but your B12 is fine, so have a nice life. Well, it's fine now, but it won't be later. Uh, they wait until everything just falls apart before any intervention is made. And I don't blame them because they simply don't have the tools to deal with it. Once they find the B12 problem, what do they do? They give you shots of B12. Maybe if you're lucky, they'll refer you to a dietitian that might give you a list of B12 foods. This is only part of the, the solution and in many ways is just not the solution. You want to fix the reason why the immune system attacked the stomach lining, etc. Other malabsorption diseases include the inflammatory bowel diseases like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, proctitis, which is inflammation of the sigmoid colon. If you have inflammation of the colon, there will be an, in, there will be an influence on the small intestine and there may be malabsorption from that perspective. However, the problem with malabsorption, let's make sure everyone understands this point, is that Malabsorption means that you do not absorb normally. A variety of things, sometimes proteins, carbs, and fats, and various nutrients to various extents. And the body will require greater amounts of nutrition to repair these areas. So if there's any degree of malnutrition, even when you eat the right nutrition, it may not fix the problem. You might have to eat or take supplements that are very, very high doses to overcome the increased nutritional requirements caused by the malabsorption and all of its secondary and tertiary effects everywhere in the body. That's why my blood detector approach looks at all areas of the body. That's not lip service. That's what I actually do. I also have a software program called The Blood Detective, which will be a phone app, by the way, mid-next year that will be available for sale to the general public, which allows them to medically and nutritionally interpret their blood work in seconds and puts them in the right ballpark for the correct foods and nutritional supplements uh, to take. But until that comes out, I'm doing that with my patients. The inflammatory bowel diseases really essentially are malabsorptive diseases. They're also very well helped, by the way, with nutritional hyperbaric therapy now, I did not invent hyperbaric therapy, but I did invent nutritional hyperbaric therapy where I use a specially formulated topical solution which gets pushed through the skin from the pressure of the oxygen in a hyperbaric chamber, bypassing malabsorptive blocks in the gut. So very proud of that idea that I had, but it was a necessary concept to help many patients. It may take some time to fix the digestive issues, but in the meantime, we can get a lot of the nutrition in. Also, with the use of my blood detective program, 
I'm able to balance out very, very accurately and personalize supplement and nutritional needs for my patients so that they're easier to heal the gut surface and make its way through the gut into uh, the rest of the body repairing various organs. So what I'm saying is, because people will ask me, you're very smart out there, well, Dr. Wald, if I have malabsorption issues in my gut and you're giving me all the right things to take, how is it going to get through my gut? It's all about the balance of what you take. It's all about the balance. So, so far we've covered gluten, malabsorptive issues, and uh, inflammatory bowel disease, and hypochlorhydra and achlorhydra. I've also mentioned lactose intolerance. Uh, by the way, lactose intolerance is very common secondary to other malabsorption diseases. So it's always important to check for that. I've also mentioned food allergies, which can be caused by malabsorption diseases of any type and can result from malabsorptive diseases of any type. And the condition of leaky gut syndrome, or small intestine bacterial overgrowth, SIBO, these are not just treated with high doses of probiotics and stuff for the gut. The nervous system must be treated. The immune system must be treated, which have effects upon the gut, disrupting its function, resulting in a leaky gut, and resulting in an overgrowth of intestinal bacteria, or SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. On my website, I have articles on SIBO that you might want to read. So when people say to me, Dr. Wald, um, you don't have to diagnose me. I already know what I have. Uh, I have leaky gut syndrome. That is like what a doctor on TV recently said on his show, which is a disgrace in my opinion, that everyone should look out, could you possibly have irritable bowel syndrome right now and not know it? Irritable bowel syndrome is not a condition. It is a description. When a gastroenterologist says to a patient, you're of irritable bowel syndrome, that doctor has ruled out colon cancer and the inflammatory bowel diseases and celiac disease. We hope that's what they should be doing. And then when they've done that, and there's no other disease per se to diagnose the patient with, the doctor says, well, you have an irritable bowel. And that's commonly emotional, and maybe you need antidepressants. I mean, how many times have you heard this? It's a disgrace. So leaky gut syndrome, like irritable bowel syndrome, are what we call in healthcare and medicine wastebasket terms. They are not based on anything. They are descriptive terms only. What there is to treat is whatever is wrong in that person in all systems at the same time, if possible. And it absolutely is possible the blood detective way. Then there is a medical condition known as short bowel syndrome. And this condition, I believe, short bowel syndrome or simply called short gut, is much more popular than gastroenterologists know because they just don't have what is called in medicine a high enough index of suspicion. I just don't understand how a person can visit any type of doctor and the doctor does his or her routine and let's say fairly detailed work in that area and when they find nothing, they're, they're done for the day. They go home and they forget about it. I do not stop looking until my patients fire me. Th that's what it's going to take for me to stop looking for something. 
But back to short bowel syndrome or short gut, it is a malabsorption disorder caused by a lack of functional small intestines. So you have these problems with your gut, you go to the GI doctor, the GI doctor sticks a tube down your throat when you're sleeping and says to you, yeah, I saw a little inflammation in your stomach, your lower end of your esophagus. Oh, and you have a hernia, by the way, everyone has a hernia. They use that diagnosis so they can bill insurance, even when you don't have it, I suspect. And I've witnessed that too during my medical rotation. And then they might poke that probe with a camera on it into the small intestine after the stomach and say, well, no, I looked at your small intestine lining. Everything looks great. But short bowel syndrome means there is a lack of functional small intestine. It doesn't look abnormal. It just functions abnormally. So the regular medical approaches say, well, okay, you don't have a tumor and there is an inflammation that I see, so everything's fine. Remember, before there's a tumor, remember, before there is inflammation visible to the naked eyeball, there is inflammation and derangement and function, which is not obvious to the eyeball, which is very easy to guess on, at least for me. And then we go with that. Now, the primary symptoms of short bowel syndrome are diarrhea, which can result in, of course, malnutrition, weight loss, dehydration. Very, very important. How you treat this is you need to treat the dysfunction of the small intestine because remember, this is a condition of a functional problem, I mean, not a disease entity, but a functional, the function is off of the small intestine. That is commonly from autonomic nervous system problems, so I need to test and then design a protocol around the nervous system. There may be a functional problem in the gut due to the immune system or hormonal system influences upon the small intestine. I think you get the idea that you must fix what you find. Repeat it after me, folks. You have to fix what you find. You don't just throw probiotics at everything. And they're not all the same anyway, by the way, probiotics. That's a whole other conversation. I can't wait to talk about that. Then another malabsorptive condition, which almost is never checked by, by doctors, let alone other natural healthcare providers, for some reason, again, that escapes me, is a functional enzyme deficiency or output of enzymes from the pancreas. The pancreas will get fatigued and it will not produce protein, starch, and fat-digesting enzymes as much as the body needs. Sometimes it can, sometimes it can't. It's very consistent. Sometimes it'll make more protein-digesting enzymes than fat-digesting enzymes. So the approach would be, of course, to investigate the pancreas itself. But remember, there are neurohormonal influences and many other influences upon the pancreas. They need to be investigated too. What if the pancreas is stressed due to pollution? You might say, whoa, whoa, where, where did that come from out of left field? Well, we know that pollution, toxins, will accumulate in the body. They accumulate in the pancreas, and they disrupt pancreatic function. They even affect the insulin levels, creating insulin resistance. And pollution or toxins that accumulate in the pancreas are a very well-known and, and acknowledged cause now of diabetes, meaning you have to deal with those toxins and focusing only on the diet will be incomplete for that person with diabetes. My point here is that's just one example of how pollution can affect the function of the pancreas and reduce the enzymes. Now, this is important, folks. If you take pancreatic enzymes for too long, you might very well shut down your pancreas's ability to produce those enzymes. And the same is true of stomach acids. If you take, I'll see patients, oh yeah, doctor, well, I've, I've been taking betaine hydrochloride for 20 years. It's the only thing that helps me, so I'm continuing to take it. I said, well, 
that's fine if you've ruled out other issues and are not interested in fixing why your body's not producing it. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, if you stop taking the stomach acid, what happens? Well, my symptoms come back. I said, well, that's what I mean. Let's fix it. The same is true for the pancreas. And I was speaking earlier about this connected sequence of events that happens in, di in the digestive system overall. I want to just reiterate that again real quickly. When there is low or no stomach acid, there'll be, that'll stress the pancreas because the pancreas has to work over hard to digest what the stomach acids could not do or the amylase from the mouth could not do when it finally gets to the pancreas. That stress will affect the motility of the bowels in various places, either causing slow bowel movements or too many bowel movements. It'll create leaky gut because of all the problems with the digestion going on in the digestive tube and compartments, meaning the esophagus, the stomach, the small intestine, the large intestine. intestine. And uh, then we have overgrowth of the normal intestinal bacterial milieu, which is a fancy way of saying all the bugs that live in there. So you can't just fix that by shoving bugs in your, in your mouth, no matter how much you take. And you certainly won't fix it by using a colonic. Uh, you might want to listen to my Detox Deception show where I talk about the pros and cons of um, colonics uh, where they can create in many people some very, very severe damage. And for all you people who've had colonics before and promote them, please understand, I am not saying that there isn't a time and place for them. But we cannot argue with the, or you can try, to argue with the concerns that I brought up during my Detox Deception show. And if there are any healthcare providers out there of any type, medical, non-medical, you name it, that would like to take me on and discuss these topics uh, if you have a disagreement, I am more than happy to do that on this radio show. This is not about me. This is about getting the right information out there. And 26 years of experience helps a lot. And my father, who did this nutritional work long before me, who was a frequent guest on the Colton Frederick Show, many of you remember that name on WOR Radio way back when, uh, I learned a lot from those guys and uh, have had the opportunity to work with a lot of people to uh, get to the truth of what's behind their health problems and not merely use things like colonics or digestive enzymes and acids without first trying to fix the problem because you can become dependent in a very adverse way to these natural approaches. I should say at this point that even when you have uncovered all the different types of malabsorptive issues, and by the way, you can have many of them at one time. I frequently find people that have two, three, and even four types of malabsorption problems, only to have one or two of them diagnosed, let's say, by traditional physicians or other natural healthcare providers and wondering why they're not getting better. Or sometimes the malabsorption disorders are correctly figured out and the person is not treated well. They're treated based on these cliche approaches, some of which I've discussed during the show, without correcting the causes of the malabsorptive disorders, which can be many. In terms of symptoms of malabsorption disorders, they are so numerous, they can be literally anything. Of course, gut symptoms, whether it's diarrhea, gas, bloating, cramping, there could be fevers or temperature, the skin be can become abnormally pigmented, of course, there can be diarrhea, there could be joint pain, there could be weight loss, there can be weight gain, there could be allergy symptoms, acne, problems managing alcohol, asthma, 
fungal overgrowth issues like, like athlete's foot and ingrown toenails, uh, hair loss, uh, sores on the skin, uh, body odors, uh, cancers, uh, even cervical dysplasia. Uh, there's, of course, could be constipation. Even dandruff can be related to the malabsorption of essential fatty acids. Very interesting, right? Earaches, body swelling, certainly fatigue, no doubt about it, which I've mentioned before. Migraines. Malabsorption syndromes increase the risk of infections like parasites and overgrowth of candida. Not to mention heavy metal toxicity. Why are people spending all this money on heavy metal tests, and then they're getting intravenous chelation when all they needed to do was fix their digestive tracts and their detox the correct way for the specific metals. So this is another example of how holistic medicine has some, somewhere gone wrong. Uh, blood sugar problems, whether it's low blood sugar or high blood sugar, and again, these are, can all be from malabsorption syndromes. Uh, infertility, even incontinence, because if you malabsorb nutrition and the nervous system's not getting it and the nervous system supports the bowels, incontinence happens. Or frequent urination might happen. Or frequent infections of the, the urinary tract or, vag or various forms of vaginitis because of malabsorption of the nutrients that support the health of those tissues. Chronic musculoskeletal pains. I don't care how many chiropractic adjustments you get. If you are nutritionally imbalanced, that, nu that excellent chiropractic adjustment will not hold. There will be issues. If you malabsorb certain fats and folic acid, for example, problems with the nervous system such as multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's disease can occur. You name it. Osteoporosis is a, is a basic one. All sorts of ulcers, whether they're gastric ulcers, peptic ulcers, hormonal issues, whether it's premenstrual tension syndrome or hormonal imbalances of any type due to malabsorption problems, memory loss. I have seen a few patients diagnosed with dementia when once you fix their nutrition, they didn't have dementia anymore. Uh, reduced tolerance to various stressors, thyroid disorders. If you malabsorb tyrosine, which is the T in T3 and T4, the thyroid hormones, you won't make enough thyroid hormones. But people are slamming down all this iodine, which I'm not saying doesn't have a purpose, but it almost never is the right thing. Too much iodine will cause thyroiditis, and that has caused some very serious issues with people. What I am saying here, folks, is I'm not contrary to natural medicine. I am saying there's a time and place I do natural medicine to use these various substances. So my next show topic will be everything about the immune system. You will never hear a more comprehensive, practical review of the immune system and how to manage it. There are immune systems. Remember that. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You have been listening to Ask the Blood Detective. I could not do this show without the great comments, the phone calls that I'm getting. I would encourage you to post your questions on my blog at www.integratednutritionny.com or blooddetective.com. You can call my office if you'd like to schedule with me to discuss your health issues at 914-242-8844. Tune in next time, Saturday at 1 o'clock, everything you ever needed to know, thought you knew, and maybe you don't want to know about the immune system. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. Have a wonderful, wonderful, healthy weekend. You know that only the good die young.